Hello, I hope you are having a great day. Um, welcome to Catalyst Women. I'm Danielle Wingate. I'm going to be your host. And today we are diving into all things of fighting for freedom. And we're going to kick this off in a few different segments. But today we're going to just dive even into the intro of the basics, um, because it's where we need to start. And so if you've read the book, I think there's a lot of really great practical takeaways that you are going to be able to glean from this. If you haven't read Fighting for Freedom, then I cannot encourage you enough. Go head over to Amazon, go to our store at catalystwomen.info and get yourself a copy today. It's a really awesome resource for women to be able to either do by themselves or do with a group. Um, and I just know it's going to encourage you and challenge you to grow in who God's called you to be. So um, I'm going to open with a few questions, okay? So what would you do if you knew that something just bad danger was lurking just around the corner. Maybe harm was coming for your family. Maybe a family member was struggling, or maybe somebody even was out to get your family. Like there was an agenda, a tactic against your family. Um, or even if you knew how fragile those around you were, what would you do? What the, would the thoughts in your head, would they change? Would the way that you spend your day, would that change? Would the conversations you have, you're having, would that change? Maybe even the friends that you're keeping, would they change? My guess is if we knew that something major, something drastic, something just really big in a negative way was happening to us, to our family, we would live very differently. And uh, maybe you're thinking like, okay, um, what does this have to do with fighting for freedom or for me? Um, it has to do a lot. And uh, the Bible actually talks about in Ephesians 6, verse 12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and world forces of this darkness um, and against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So if we're going off of Ephesians 6, 12, that there is a battle that is raging in the heavenly realms, an unseen battle that we can't see, an enemy that we don't maybe know, and with forces and tactics that we can't fight or even sometimes detect with an unseen or untrained eye. So <clears throat> growing up, I grew up in a Christian home and everything from the outside looking in seemed great. And I would just say that... Um, there were just struggles. And I think a lot of times you just kind of conceal it, or maybe that was even just what we were kind of taught to do as I was growing up of just like, Hey, you don't really talk about your problems. You just have them, you deal with them. And at some point it's going to get better. And I struggled with all sorts of things, even starting from age four, I can remember just struggling with gender identity and just confusion of like, I really wanted to be a boy. And I struggled with um, relationships. I struggled with depression. I navigated suicidal ideation. And again, there was no major thing that really made sense that you could say, oh, this, this is where it all stemmed from. Or if this had changed, this would have been all the better. Um, so that also felt really confusing. And I really began to internalize this belief of what's wrong with me. And because that didn't have just like a clear cut, pretty answer, I began to really pursue other things of just like, you know, just the wrong types of friends, maybe the wrong types of boys. And um, I, I found it really good to be really busy. So I didn't have to truly like feel things. I didn't have to really think through things. Um, 
And I just found myself feeling like a shell of a person living for the next hire, living for the next break and wondering, when is this going to feel better? When is this going to change? At what point am I going to feel peace? At what point am I going to feel happiness? At what point am I going to feel free? And free or freedom is this like term that just kept coming to mind constantly throughout my um, late teens, early twenties, that just out of choice, I had made events seem to define me. And I had taken on just shame and regret. And I had taken on all these like identities and titles in my head that were lies from the enemy, but still I had accepted them or received them as truth. And I just be realized I I just, I don't want to feel this way anymore. And after a series of years, I remember one night after a Tuesday night church service, I just felt like in all the best ways wrecked by the Lord. Like there was just a really timely message, word of encouragement. There was some great worship. I'm not sure what's happening with my hair up here, but you know, whatever, just bear with me. Um, and I just felt like this stirring in my spirit, like, okay, Lord, I've done it my way for so long. And I'm ready to do it yours because I can't keep living this way. I don't want to live this way anymore. There's got to be more here. And if you're in that place, I just want to encourage you that there is. And I can say that confidently. And I don't even know you. I don't know your story. I don't know what you've navigated, but I'm going to stand here, sit here and tell you there is more. And so, um, we're going to get to that. But before we get to the more, we have to know what the root of it is. We have to know what the source, the enemy is, because if we don't figure out the root, then you're going to do what I did for years. You're going to spiral for years. You're going to search for years. You're going to try and fill a void or apply a, a worldly equation to a spiritual problem. If we don't know what's happening. So going back to Ephesians 6, 12, there's a battle that's raging, right? So, um, Society would love to tell us, political forms would love to tell us, social media would love to identify that our, our enemy is a person or a thing or a side or fill in the blank. That's not who the enemy is. The enemy is Satan and people are just the tools. They are just the mechanisms by which evil is being carried out. And it can be um, there's just such a wide, uh, wide array that we could go like in different directions with, with all of this stuff, but Satan is the source of all of it. That is why there's sin. That's why there's pain. That's why there's problems. That's why there's anger. That's why there's hate. There's why there's, uh, just pick anything. It's because sin is in the world and Satan has been given temporary authority or permission to reign, but not forever. If you're not familiar with Satan and maybe the background of who he is. So Satan was a, one of the highest ranking angels originally in heaven. His name was Lucifer and Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28 actually says that he was the seal of perfection. And so Satan um, was jealous of God and out of this pride, he and um, other angels chose to rebel against God, start their own kingdom. And then he from day one that God created the of humans, there was just this deep hate for man and woman. And I have no biblical support of this. I just sometimes think about it that I'm like, I feel like I wonder sometimes if Satan had it worse for Eve, that he was just, he had more hate towards Eve 
to cause her to stumble. And, and here's why I say this. So everything was perfect. God had created the whole world and then he creates Adam. And it says that there was no helper suitable for Adam. And we're going to touch on this in the next video. Don't worry. So, um, so we're not going to dive too much into this right now, but that there was no super help. Uh, there was no helper suitable for Adam. And so there is this lack, this gap, something is missing. And out of that gap, God causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep, takes a rib out of his side, creates Eve. And now there is this perfection, this wholeness, this completeness that only was completed once Eve came to the picture. So this man and this woman. And so if, as I'm thinking about this, I'm like, I, I wonder if Satan already had this deep hate for Adam, this deep jealousy of, of God's love of free will for human beings, humankind. But then this, this new human being comes along and she carries with her this, this whatever equation that now creates this wholeness, this peace, this completeness. What is it? And so Satan operates in this way that he always has, and it is in deception. What's interesting is I really think Hollywood missed the mark with Satan. Hollywood has always um, depicted Satan as this small little red guy running around with horns, a tail, and a pitchfork that is annoying and just wreaks havoc, right? Everything is chaos. But if we go back to Ezekiel 28, that Satan was the seal of perfection, if we go back and we think that everything that God does is a masterpiece, and if we go back and we think that Satan was one of the highest ranking angels, then sometimes I wonder if Satan was actually beautiful. Sometimes I wonder if Satan, if we would just be so blown away by how truly like stunning, captivating he is. And, and it's interesting because in those elements, isn't that sometimes how sin is portrayed as well? So second Corinthians 11, 14 through 15 says, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So the tactics don't change for our enemy. It, it is always and has always been and will always be in the method of deception, taking the truth of what God has for us and manipulating it, twisting it to where we now have a counterfeit to where um, if we're not paying attention, if we're not vigilant of what's happening in all seasons and circumstances of our life, then it's easy for us to get tripped up and distracted, right? We may say like, oh, well, this looks really good. This sounds really good. Oh, this feels really good. And it may seem innocent. And, you know, what's, what's one little conversation or what's one little, you know, if I just watch this one time, like what I, you know, I can say whatever we, we will, we'll make excuses for it all day long. And then a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And then eventually we come to a place in our lives that we realize we are in a story that we never wanted to be on. And we are living a life that we never intended to. And that is how deception works is one small choice of giving in leads to another, leads to another and leads to another. Why? Well, when we get distracted and when we allow sin to live in our lives or take residence in our minds, 
we are allowing things to grow just like a plant or like a tree roots begin to grow things like competition, things like jealousy, things like hate and anger and offense. I, I mean, just fill in any type of sin and it all begins to grow, but it comes in from the form of deception. It comes in from the form of offense. And then we begin to harbor that we begin to breed an environment that can, it can grow. If we don't take the authority over it to almost take a, a deep dive inventory or assessment of our minds and our hearts regular to say, what, what is causing me this like just disturbance in my heart. Where am I feeling anxious? Where am I feeling fearful? Where am I feeling angry? Why is this happening? And, and just to make, to, to make sure that we, A, acknowledge it, B, find a solution for how to get it out. Because if not, then we are permitting an enemy to reside in our territory and we cannot serve the Lord. We cannot step into our calling. We cannot bring freedom and hope to others. If we have partnered with the lies and the false identity and counterfeit truths from the enemy. So we'll see this, this key of deception played out all throughout the Bible. And I bet you can even begin to see it in your own life played out, right? It's the very first thing. And I told you that, you know, Satan disguised himself as a serpent tempts Eve with this fruit. Then we see it again when Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Holy spirit and Satan comes to him and tempts him again with these temporary things that Jesus really actually wants where Jesus probably was very hungry. Cause hello, who's not hungry when you're doing a 40 day fast. And, um, you know, Jesus had been promised by his father that he would have to dominion and power over like everything eventually, but it wasn't time yet. And Satan was trying to tempt him for that now. And, um, who, and he was in the wilderness. He may, he probably wanted to be rescued. Like, so Satan tempts him with, with these things that seemed really close to what he wanted, really close to maybe what God had told him really close to what God had for him. And if God or Jesus had compromised that, then there would have been just this break in promise, right? There would have just been this trade in what has God actually said. And we would have, he would have settled for this lie from the enemy. So I just want to encourage you, um, this, this deep dive inventory, I think it's probably like a muscle. The first few times that you do it, it's not going to feel really good. It's kind of like going to the gym after you haven't been in a few weeks and you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to die when I get on this treadmill or I'm going to, I cannot, like I used to be able to lift this much and now I can't, you know, um, I think everything that we start to do is probably hard at first, but the, the important thing is starting because if you are feeling that, that tension and that stirring of like, Lord, I don't want to live in this place anymore. Lord, I know that you've created me for more Lord. I don't know how to get from, from a to B to C to D or, or Lord, I'm so tired of having the season repeat again. I can't do this anymore. Then I want to encourage you. This is probably the very first step that we need to do is take an internal assessment in your heart and your mind. What's coming up. What what's hurting, what feels yucky, what is causing you tension? What is, is coming up when you start to think of like, okay, well, what's holding me back from achieving peace? Why don't I feel free? And, and the beautiful thing is there is no wrong answer here, but the important thing is, is that we get it out. It doesn't stay inside of us. Right? So if you're wondering, okay, all right. 
this physical um, or spiritual war stuff, like what does this actually look like? I'm going to, I'm going to give you two solid physical indicators if, if you need them, right? The presence of unrighteousness and injustice is the physical manifestation of spiritual warfare. The presence of unrighteousness and injustice is the physical manifestation of spiritual warfare. So you can just look at anything that is um, unrighteous and you can look at any injustice and there is sin in the world and there is spiritual warfare. It is really as simple as that. Now, spiritual warfare is a huge, like challenging topic. Um, and there's a lot of theologians, which I'm not one, but they debate over it. But that is as simple as it is. There is sin, there is pain, there is injustice, and there is unrighteousness in the world, and there is spiritual warfare. The beautiful thing and the amazing thing is that God has won the war. But scripture clearly tells us a, very many, a lot of verses that we are still in a battle and that we still have a responsibility as sons and daughters to fight. And it does not look like fighting as we are currently maybe doing in our world. It doesn't look like dishonoring other people or other sides or other beliefs on social media. Fighting does not look like holding division or contempting your heart for another person. Fighting does not look like, those are probably just the main things. And we'll just stop there before we get too ahead of ourselves. But um, if you're navigating this and you're like, okay, where do I need to start? So here are, here are three things I would encourage you to do today. Number one, um, buy the book. Number two, this concept continues to come back to me. But as a military spouse, I have had a front row seat to watching my, my army officer husband always train for war. He is always training. The military is always strategizing and always training. And I believe that's how we as sons and daughters are called to be as well always training because there is a battle in our midst. And it's not like once we begin to see the manifestation, which we're already seeing a lot of that now at unprecedented levels, it's not that, oh, well, once we see that, then we'll start training. No, it's training today. And so what does that look like? How does that, what does that mean to be always training? Number one, have daily encounters, getting God's word daily. I have a really great reading plan for you. A Bible reading plan, 365 days that you can download today, but make, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be mine. It doesn't have to be um, whatever, but just to make sure that you are encountering God's word, his truth every single day and anchoring your heart and your mind in his truth. Number one, prayer. Number, well, actually, number one is the daily encounters. Number two is prayer. And so making time to pray, but then also just to listen and say, Holy Spirit, speak. Your servant is listening. Number three would be spiritual disciplines, which we're going to expand upon a little bit more later, but things like fasting and tithing, um, and even Sabbathing. And number four would be worship. This is one of the most simple things that we do in our household every single day. We always have worship music playing. And if we don't, and things start to just feel like, okay, it just conflict feels like it's heavy today or tension, or there's just something here. We turn on worship music. We turn it up really loud and we have a dance party and there is probably nothing that breaks the heaviness quicker than worship. So 
I cannot encourage that enough. And the last would be community. And so maybe your first step of community is just being here with me. And I'm super thankful for that. Maybe your next step for community is just reaching out to a friend to say, Hey, I need prayer. Hey, do you want to grab coffee or whatever? Maybe your next step is starting a Bible study or just showing up to a Bible study. I don't know. But the beautiful thing is measure your success by the next step. So wherever you're at, what's the next best thing you can do to grow in this area? And then that's, that's fantastic. So celebrate that. And the last would be um, to put on the whole armor of God daily. And that is what's going to be our next episode because it's a lot and we're going to dive into that. Um, And in closing, I want to encourage you just with this one piece from the book. Your purpose is too great. Your calling is too high and your legacy is too valuable to not engage in the battle. Is this going to be a lot of work? Yes. Are you going to feel maybe tired some days and you don't want to engage in the real battle and it's just easier to like attack that person on social media or respond with the passive aggressive response to your husband or, you know, just like lose it with your kids where you just react instead of respond? Yeah. And you are human and there is grace for that. But please know that God has created you beautifully. God has wired you intricately. God has designed you with purpose and intentionality. And we need you to show up in ways that maybe you never have before. And that's got to start with being in his presence. It's got to start with pursuing his truth. And it's got to start with identifying the truth of who the enemy is first and foremost. Thank you so much for joining me today. Till next time.